I just can't ever get my head around the fact that there are people that can't play our national sport because of gender, ethnicity, culture. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Our Game 2 podcast. I'm joined by Z at Desi B-A-L-L-R-S on Instagram. He's on Twitter too, but Instagram is the one. He's got some great content on there. He always keeps you up to date with all the players, what they're up to throughout the world. He's got some great interviews on there as well. Please do check it out. And as for our own podcast, would really appreciate if you could like it, share it, write reviews, do whatever you have to. I don't know what you have to do, to be honest, but whatever you have to do, do it. Let's get the this out to a bigger audience. Now, Z, there's been a there's been it's actually been quite a busy week other than the football side for for Asians. Um so first of all, what have you been up to? Anything interesting, or do you want to just dive straight into talking about all these different different happenings? Oh, it's been very interesting in what's happening off the field. On the field, been uh, keeping an eye on obviously what how West Ham are doing, um, but also just seeing how the players are getting on. But I've been really interested in the few articles and initiatives that have come out in the last few days, um, and yeah, I think we just dive, dive straight into them. Okay, I'll start off with the farmers' protest in India. Now that's had. Um, obviously, it's got global recognition. There's been some sports stars and actually famous people like Rihanna, etc., as well, throughout the world that have been commenting on, on it um, and donating money towards it. One of the fan groups, I believe, oh, I'm going to get this wrong now, it was either the Punjabi Rams or the Punjabi Villains or the Punjabi Leeds. I should know this because I've bought a t shirt. Um, but they launched they launched a T-shirt to try and raise some money for the cause. And a lot of the fan groups have been supporting them. And then that's been highlighted and shared by <clears throat> by Sky. Have you been following that story, Z? No, I have. I have been following it. Um, and I think it's, it's amazing what happens when when well, I was just reading the article now about club rivalry being put to a side stand in unity. And I think when there's a cause that's worth fighting for or standing for, people can come together. And that's a great example of it. Um, the fans obviously have a have a great affinity to their clubs and they have that passion for it, but they're also passionate about issues that affect community, whether it's over here or, or back home as well. We saw great momentum last year about so- social injustice and the movement that happened following the George Floyd murder, where it brought people together to suddenly understand that we have a conscience about these issues, whether they're happening here or not, and we can relate to them. And what's happening with um, with the farmers back in India, it's resonated with the community that's here. Um, and it shows that this community, even though we've, we've been here two, three generations, we have this great affinity to what's happening to, to, to people back in uh, the land of where our parents and grandparents come from. Um, and it's great to see that unity. I think that's what it was. The using social media to make a stand and come together and 
even though it was the um, the South Asian-led fan groups, you also had uh, other fans come in solidarity as well. And I think it's important that sometimes when, when you've got communities, let's say football community with supporters, that it's not just football that matters. They can also raise issues that needs attention. Um, and we saw that it, it took a, what was it, a tweet from, from Rihanna to suddenly get the world's attention on it, even though if you've been following the news, you've been seeing this over a period of time and a lot of people have been mentioning it on their social media, but it took that one step to suddenly wake a lot of people up. And I think once people get woken up to an injustice that's been happening, um, then it's, it depends on what you do next. And when these guys have come together, uh, they've done it virtually uh, with the banner, it's um, it, it, it warms the heart a little because we can still fight for those who are suffering injustices. Uh, in this case, it's the farmers. Um, and we, I'd like to think that wherever this injustice around the world, whether it's even domestically, we can still come together as, as people and put our differences aside to, to fight for that common cause. Yep. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the George Floyd murder, because I think since then, there's a there's been more acceptance from people to consider injustices wherever that may occur. And for us, obviously, that's football. And I, I think when those conversations start, they're lasting longer as well. And on that, one of the things that has been really heartening to see, given the breadth, the scope of our podcast, sorry, is around Asians in football. And one of the biggest media outlets out there is Sky Sports. What have they been doing? Well, um, a good friend of ours, uh, Dev Trehan, has been, uh, uh, well, over the years, he's done a great number of articles and features on, on South Asians in, in the game, both on the pitch and off the pitch. And this week, uh, Sky Sports have got a, a page that's now dedicated to news on South Asians in football. Um and sometimes I was saying to you off, 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 off air about how having been involved in football for so long, for me, this was just a natural evolutionary step that should have taken place. And it is taking place now. But if I displaced myself from that, from someone who's not been involved so much, to see a mainstream flagship organisation like Sky Sports take this dedicated step. We've seen them do the articles, of course, and they've done great series of articles in a lot recent weeks, including about the fan groups um, and, and their uh, unity with the Indian farmers. All of a sudden, we've now got a page that we can refer to, and it's part of that documenting of our history that you're, where we can see. Um, and now, if you ever need to refer to anyone to, about Asian football, we have a web link that we can send to people, and it's a Sky Sports link. It's not a, a blog post or... A, a fringe or or niche kind of uh, niche interest group that you send them to. You send them to a mainstream website, and it's it's a sign that things are moving forward. Um, I know progress always seems slow, but I guess when you click on the link and you see the series of articles that have been done and the range of articles that have been done as well about players, uh, about the um, issues surrounding the stigma that's attached to South Asian footballers, what the fans are up to. When you see that range and spectrum of stories, it just gives you a bigger, a wider perspective rather than the one-off articles. Yeah, um, you're right. Listen, congratulations, Sky Sports. It's fantastic what you've done. I know they get a lot of abuse from people who are 
uneducated on the topic, let's say, because they there are lots of myths and stereotypes which are held both within and outside of our communities regarding this. And yeah, well done, Dev, at Dev Trehan, if you want to give them a follow. Cool. And the PFA, they've also launched something this week. PFA have launched the Asian Inclusion Mentoring Scheme. Uh, in essence, it literally aims. It's a great acronym. And the aims of aims is to... <laughs> <laughs> I had to use that. I was thinking about it all day. I had to use that one. Um, it's, it's all about the connections within the game between South Asian players and creating, uh, I guess a knowledge sharing and uh, experience sharing uh, mechanism where your experienced South Asian players, although numbers be it small, can pass on their experience and knowledge to the younger South Asian coming through. Um, I've always maintained that when it comes to, to our communities, we need to keep educating ourselves with football. There's, there's so many aspects when we talk about education. It's not a school-based education or curriculum-based education we're talking about. We're talking about um information knowledge um understanding experiences pathways how things work or and also just normal life things but what to do when you're when you have a, a when you face a um a fallback or a knockdown if you be if you face a a defeat how to react to it now for the player's point of view for a young player coming from the academy who often get other other South Asian players to suddenly have a mentor who looks like you as well, not to say that there can't be other players who are not Asian who can be mentored to these players, but when you've got someone who looks like you, it gives you, a, I guess it's a bit more empowering because not only are you listening to them about football in terms of, say, there's a story about Cameron Candola, who's a upcoming defender at Wolves. He's tapped into the knowledge of Danny Bart, who was a captain at Wolves as well and had made two, more than 200 appearances and came through the ranks at Wolves as well. You've got that club connection, you've got the position connection, but you've also got the cultural connection as well. Um, and I think sometimes when you've got someone, and you know, the, the excuse is sometimes, not excuse, sorry, I'll take that back. The phrase that's used often is you can't be what you can't see. Well, if you can see Danny Barton, he's currently approaching 400 career games in a position that you played in. You you can now see someone that you can be. And I think in the simplest essence of it, it's that. It's the lived experiences um, that these players can give an insight to the young players coming through the ranks uh, that someone like ourselves can't give because we haven't played the game uh, or to any standard or understand the inner mechanisms of how football works. Um, and to be able to tap into your players who are in the system, who are seasoned professionals, it's, it's, it's priceless. And I think what we need to do with this one is not expect an immediate, um, you know, immediate results of it. It's a period of time. But reading the article, this is something that's been done unofficially or uh, kind of a case-by-case basis for the last three, four years what PFA have done and what Riz, Riz, Riz Raymond, uh, who's been leading this project, is formulated it now. So there is a kind of conveyor bit of information passing through. So you've got the experienced professional players speaking with the young professionals. And what's even nicer to see is the young professionals, who are the, uh, are the scholars or uh, first-year pros, then passing that knowledge on to younger South Asian players who are 
who are in the academy system who are yet to get to that scholarship age. So all of a sudden there's this nice um, flow of information and a support system that's being created. Um, and I'm, I, I take my hats off to them because I've always said that lived, lived experiences count for more if you can tap into that knowledge. And the fact that these players are now taking advantage of that or can take advantage of that, all power for it. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that people who don't look at the game or the outside of the game as deeply as perhaps we do from time to time fail to understand how important networks and connections are. Um, And there's also that knowledge as to how to get go through the system, which, listen, I mean, this applies to everyone, but when you throw in there's there's the slight cultural aspects of it as well. Yeah, this is 100% needed. All power to Riz Remen and the PFA for bringing this in. My only concern with this, actually, it's not a concern with it. It's to do with external perception, which I know isn't anyone's fault. It's to do with there are some people that will look at this and say, yep, Asians, they're holding themselves back. So this will will help do that when we know there are systemic issues, which they're part of it. They need to be looked at. They need to be discussed as well. Having said that, listen, I'm not knocking it in the slightest. I think it's it's positive. I'll, I'll add one thing to that. Um, so you mentioned what people would say. Uh, also, we have a saying in our language called Lok Yakenge, right? What's that? What does that mean? Right. Lok Yakenge is what will people say? What will people say? Lok Yakenge, right? Now, if we constantly worry about what people say and think, we won't move and, and, and push forward. Um, and the reason, the only caution I have with this is this is not the answer. This is an answer to one particular issue. The issue being when a player says, I didn't have anyone else to look up to, we can now kind of right the second one is you can't be what you can't see these young players can see them now the third thing is there's an a formal mechanism now within the pfa as professional footballers association should do is connecting the young and the and and the old Uh, i could use a better phrase for that but the young and the old as in your season guys and the ones coming through the system right before it's like oh there's a disconnect can can a young player who's in the academy or just entered the academy system can he go call up a professional football and also advice. Well, now there's this pathway that's been created. So already there's three questions that's been answered right there. There's a million questions out there. There's a million. There's there's so many issues out there. Like you mentioned, systemic issues that need to be addressed. And anything that's, in my opinion, anything to do with systemic change takes time. It takes time, but you have to build a momentum for that change to happen. You have to um, have actions that are considered quick wins like this is a quick win for us you've connected a professional professional player with an academy player that's a quick win um now obviously people will say well what about the people outside the system what about people in grassroots how do we connect with them and i'm sure once you've got once this is like probably phase one of a hundred phases we don't know maybe there's ways where the different governing bodies and, and the different partners in football can come together the far responsible for the gate for the for the game and especially on the grassroots level they can tap into the pfa's expertise in professional football and attach to to their programs that they're doing in grassroots so there might be 
other mechanisms that could come out of this. Um, and we just need to say, is this a formal best practice on the surface? Yes. Secondly, when you hear what the players are saying, and the big thing for me on this one is it's not something that's going to happen. It's happening. So the, the, the article the, in The Guardian, the headline is, we're not talking about it, we're doing it. And that's so important. It's about showing it as well as saying it. So I like to think that with this um, AIMS uh, scheme, it's something that was always being done fragmentedly or, you know, in isolation or case by case. Now they say yeah. sporadic. Yeah. Now it's been done. It's been, it's out in the public now, but they're still going to get on with it. It's not a case of we're launching this project and it's going to be launched in six months time. And all these factors need to be in place before it gets going. It's more of a case of we've done the pilot. This is happening. We're letting you know about it. This is a good thing. Best practice. Let's continue that momentum. Let's talk about the next good thing that's happening. Let's talk about the next good thing that's happening. You know, you're just building a forward positive momentum. Um, and it's visible as well. You mentioned Sky Sports. It's visible. We can say, oh, we really want a mainstream uh, organization to, you know, um, talk about Asians in football, but not as an issue, just about the daily growth and the journey. Now we got that. Now you've got this AIMS project on the professional side. We've got that. So you're, you're seeing these good practices in different elements and different levels as adding to the spectrum of our conversation. And one thing you've mentioned, and I think we always talk about it, is what will people say and the comments that are going to come out and the criticisms and concerns. Sometimes when you've got a, an idea you think you can push forward with and you know it could bear fruits, whether it's now or later down the line, you almost have to block out some of that noise because the people who are making the noise, they're not going to matter in the long, long run. They're always going to have an opinion. Um, and even the ones who have the opinion, you have to ask yourself, so what, what, would, what are you doing about it? Not what would you do? What are you doing about it within your powers, within your limitations, within your powers? What are you doing about it? And I think where we're here with the, the, with the pod, that's our part in this journey that we're on right now and we're all contributing towards the betterment and that's that's how i see it cool fantastic okay so talking about organizations and change etc one of the what i guess one of the most prominent organizations in the uk is the fa and our guest this week is rachel pavlu from the fa you'll hear my interview with her in a short while something that i believe we've neglected so far in this podcast is is females asian females and them playing and participating in football etc see if i can put you on the spot and ask you very quickly why do you think this is an important topic it's important because it's part of that forward momentum where we're, we're talking about change that we want to see in society um, and we're seeing an increased uh, presence of, of females in, in football. And in, in the past, there have been uh, South Asian women who played get, played the game um, and they haven't necessarily got the credit, the, the recognition for it uh, in a big way. The only one you can cite is Bennett like Beckham. But it's time to turn that Ben like Beckham story into the actual in real life now, isn't it? To fight through the adversity and show that you know, you know, South Asians can make in the game. We've got a 
two professional leagues in, in women's football is the, the Super League and the Women's Championship. Uh, we've got Simran Jama who plays in the FA Championship for, for Lewis F- FC. And also um, Rosie Camito played for West Ham in the Super League. And now for what? So there's been players who have played there. Now is the time to uh, build that momentum on, on the female side as well. Fantastic. Okay, here's my interview with Rachel. Okay, so now I'm joined by Rachel Pavlou. Rachel, hello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. It's really good to be here. Listen, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, Rachel, I've I've met you once before. I don't know if you remember this, but it was the very last Asian roadshow before lockdown started. So that was nearly a year ago. Um, Although we only had a brief conversation that day, I was trying to get you to find some female West Ham supporters to join the BAME Hammers, who I'm one of the committee members from. Um, So I know you work for the FA, and I know you do lots of work with women in football, but apart from that, that's all I know. So, Rachel, who are you? (laughs) Right, Okay. so um, I'm the National Women's Football Development Manager at the FA. Um, I've been involved developing women's football with the English FA for now 22 and a half years. Oh, wow. So I've been, I've been there a very, very long time. And I, I do smile when I say that because so many of the people I talk to now are students who are actually, well, they weren't even born when I started at the FA. So uh, I, I feel very, very old when I say it. But I'm also exceptionally proud of being at the FA for that long because I've really seen a change in the way that women's football has been developed and supported and my role currently is probably one of my favourite roles because it's about trying to increase the numbers of girls and women from all different diverse communities around England. Um, and it's, it, it's that that really gets me excited when I see so many of the role models come forward now and are doing so so good in, in football across the country. So, yeah, I've got a really amazing job. I always have done, but I'm particularly loving it at the moment. Okay, so first of all, how did you end up at the FA? What, what, what brought you there? Well, I did a degree in recreation management in Sheffield So, and because I, I always knew I wanted to be in sport. I wasn't quite sure which sport because when I was seven, I was actually banned from playing football. I got into the team and then my headmaster called my parents into the school and banned me and said over his dead body would a girl ever play football for his school. And I didn't understand that at such an early age, especially when my brother didn't even want to play and he was made to play. Um, and I had to watch him. And uh, it was really hard for me to to understand that. So football, even though I went to see my team, which is Aston Villa, I'm still a season ticket holder to this day. I used to go all the time to watch it. I wasn't allowed to play it. So I played other sports. So sport was what I really, really loved. But I didn't think football was for me because I just didn't think I was allowed to be involved in it. Um, so after university, I got um, a, a really fantastic role working at Sheffield, sorry, at Solihull College. Um, and that was as a sports development officer. And I got to do loads of sports with students, um, with uh, kids from local primary and secondary schools. And I got to do all my qualifications and I got to do fo- a football course. I was like, wow, I've done a fo- I was allowed to go on it. This is amazing. Um, and there was all these other women on the course. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know other women. I didn't know women really played. And the guy who ran the course said to like, found out something about us all. And when he found out kind of like my background and, and my story, um, 
he said, oh, come and volunteer. Come and volunteer to help women's football so that no other girls will go through what you went through when you were younger because it's obvious it's really upset you. It's really made you very, very sad over the years that you couldn't play. So I did. I volunteered for Birmingham County FA and the FA got involved in that. They wanted to know what I was doing. Uh, They started to take a real interest in the work that I was doing in the local area. And uh, when the job came up in 1998 to be a regional director for women's football, I was really lucky that I got so much volunteer experience as well as my sports development experience and my qualifications to get that job. And I've never looked back. Um, And I'm so grateful to be working every day in something that I feel so passionately about and helping young girls to get the opportunities I didn't because I just I just can't ever get my head around the fact that there are people that can't play our national sport because of gender, ethnicity, culture, whatever the reason. I just cut disability, ability. I can't get my head around it. I just want every girl to have the chance. And if she doesn't want to play because she doesn't enjoy it and it's not her thing and she plays other sports, then fine. But I just want girls to play and try it and see whether it's for them okay i mean listen it's it's a shame that you had to go through that experience but it sounds like it's your driving force it's a passion that that drives you so good to hear so i'm gonna let me start off with i guess a slightly controversial maybe a devil's advocate question um now football is the national sport um that's as far as we're concerned it's our game too hence the name of the podcast um but for the vast majority of people it's about the men's game so why is it important that we consider and think about and improve the female side of the representation too i i just think that is for me it's obvious it is the national sport so national for me means that everybody gets a chance to play and I don't see the issue of your gender being the reason why you don't get involved in the sport that is not just our national sport but is probably the world's favorite sport um we all we all have our opinions on the game we all love the game in our own way um and I just want to be part of changing that so that young girls do get the chance uh, to have probably the equal chance that boys have that they grow up knowing it's as much their sports as it is boys. A little bit probably how hockey's perceived, probably how tennis is perceived, that you play a sport because you love it and gender doesn't come into it. Um, so that's why I really want to give all girls from all backgrounds the chance to play so that they're part of our national sport, the, the sport that we love. Okay. Um, so something that I think not many people are aware of, and I only know the basics of, of it, is the fact that, am I right in thinking women's football was banned for about 40, 50 years? Is that right? It was. It, you, you're very correct. And actually, it's, um, it's, I think it's the centenary of the ban this year, at the end of this year. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was a really dark time in, uh, in the history of women's football. Um, and it's something that we all at the, uh, in women's football just, just want to now just change everybody's views that it's a sport for all of us it's a sport for everybody and that what has happened in the past has probably actually made us more 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 sort of like determined more more of us are pioneers to change it because we we just want to give those girls every girl that thought that we're here we're here for them and that you know there is whatever history's happened we're here now and we're really changing what's happening for girls now Okay, so 
I mean, I'm 48. I'm just trying to think. Growing up, I didn't know of any girls' teams whatsoever. Um, I'm pretty sure the first time I even thought about women's football was probably when I saw Bend It Like Beckham or something. Um, so I know the WSL is a more recent creation, etc. Um, so I guess just in a nutshell, going all the way through whatever pyramid there is in women's football from the WSL, Premier League, all the way down to grassroots, what kind of opportunities are there for, for all kinds of girls and women to play football now. Well, as you said, we have the Women's Super League, which is the top of the pyramid, and then we have leagues at every level. So we we we, we pretty much mirror the men's uh, pyramid um, in terms of the very top to the to the grassroots. And women and girls can play either locally for recreational reasons and fun reasons, or they can play competitively and join teams in leagues. And those that are talented can go through the talent pathway into um, hopefully playing for England youth one day. So the great thing about women and girls football now is that whatever level you are, there is a there is an opportunity that's being created at the moment for you. Um, and it's the recreational side that we've really spent a lot of time on in the last couple of years because we didn't really have that that offer. The men did. They always had five aside. Walking football's become quite popular for men in, in the past few years. But we didn't really have that recreational side. So we've really worked on that because we know that there are so many girls and women out there who don't want to play in the league but do want to play and they just want to play for fun so now we can we can say that there's a lot more opportunities still not enough still not everywhere and that's what obviously we've just recently launched our women's football strategy for 2020-2024 and that is very much around increasing participation we call it equal access for girls in schools and clubs one of our major aims we're talking about an inclusive, friendly environment for, for girls and women to go to it with the offer that they wish to have. And we're talking about a diverse, supported workforce that are the role models for those girls to go to um, events and, uh, and, and, and leagues and competitions and teams. So we're really focusing on, on the, and we're calling it inspiring positive change. That's what we've called it because we want to see that football is for all girls and all women, whatever they wish to have from football. And, and that obviously can be coaching, volunteering, leadership. It doesn't actually have to be on the pitch. We've got a lot of women now that are getting into journalism, as you've seen from the England players that are now involved in it, uh, from sports science, um, physios, you know, all the backroom staff as well. We're getting a lot more women involved in that side of the game, both in the women's game and in the men's game, I'm pleased to say. So lots, lots more opportunities. And that strategy is very, very clear. We actually have a whole pyramid called Football for All, and that is just the work I'm lucky enough to be involved in to try and 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 show all girls and women out there we you know we are trying to do our best to provide you with the opportunities that you require. Just that curiosity. So this women's football strategy, how are you how are you disseminating that? Are you going through the county FAs? Are you going via education boards? How is it how is the message going to get through to the girls on the ground? Yeah, well. Obviously, we did a, we did a launch. Unfortunately, because of the way it is at the moment, we had to do it all online on social media, uh, on the websites, etc. And um, we used some really great role models as, to actually help us to to talk about the work that we were doing. So, in terms of girls football, we used uh, Pooja Rayner from uh, for, who who works at the moment in Leicester. She's a, a, a in a girls club in Leicester, and she talked about her journey with her girls 
from a Wildcat centre to now a girls team in a league. Um, so we took different people to kind of from different communities to talk through their journeys so that more people would feel that they could see someone that was representative of the work that they were doing. Um, and Puja, you know, Puja is an absolutely fantastic example of a young female coach who's just wants to see as many opportunities as possible for her girls who happen to be in an Asian community, a high Asian community. So a lot of them are Asian and it's just, just fantastic to see that. So yeah, we try and use as much as possible role models from different communities so that we get the voice out to as many different people as we can. Okay. Fantastic. Now, I I guess moving on to Asians to a degree, I mean, on in the men's side of it, We've already talked about the fact that the men's game is the national sport and it, visually everyone knows straight away that there are hardly any Asians as in, and even the ones that are there, most many don't know that Hamza Chowdhury, Neil Taylor, for instance, are in the Premier League right now. And then going down the leagues, no one really knows as much about people like Mal Benning and, and Otis Khan, etc. Um and we know statistically that there's an issue. Approximately 8% of the population, according to the last census, and I think somewhere in the region of 0.003% professional players. So in regards to on the female side, if we can just talk about, the, prof- I guess, the professional and the WSL side of it, that kind of side first. Is there an awareness that because i'm assuming well actually i don't know and that's my fault as much as well it's just my fault i don't know if there are any professional asian female players right now are there and who are they yeah so first of all when when probably a couple of years ago now we got exceptionally excited because west ham signed um the first the first asian female uh, on a professional contract in rosie kamita and that's that obviously was really exciting for everybody and all young girls to see an Asian girl finally have a professional contract. Um, she made the FA Cup final. So she was live on BBC with, with loads of promotion around Rosie. And we've continued to support Rosie in her journey, in her journey into journalism and, and her work with the BBC, etc. So Rosie was was great for, 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 for everybody. And what it reminded people were, well, actually, there isn't just Rosie. Uh, Rosie was the first, but there was a, there is a pipeline of girls coming behind us. So Maz Pacheco is also at West Ham. Simran Jamit is at Lewis. Um, Asmita Ali is at Aston Villa. And those three girls are actually in the England youth teams. So we actually have three Asian females at the moment in the England youth teams. And we are working at the moment with a colleague you, you, who you know, Dal Darish, um, to actually do some videos of those three females um, for the next few months to be able to show all those young girls out there. These are your three role models at the moment in England youth. And we're really hoping there'll be more coming down the pipeline in our, in our regional talent clubs and our our grassroots clubs. These, these are your role models. And hopefully these girls might one day be an England senior player, which would be absolutely brilliant. And I know it's not a competition, but I would really love to see an England female Asian player as soon as possible. <laughs> that would be amazing um, for the senior team for sure. Okay. Yeah, no, true. It would be. So, I mean, in, do you, th- I don't know how much you know about like, the barriers and I, and I know it's not a simple que- aunt question to answer, but 
are the barriers different for Asian females that want to get in, I guess, make a living or earn something out of the game as opposed to the men? Well, interestingly, we as soon as as soon as we it was really apparent that we needed to do more work to support both Asian men and Asian women and, and girls and boys. We we wrote an Asian inclusion strategy that you you know very much about because we went around the country talking to Asian communities about what that should be about and what are the priorities in there. And off the back of that, we set up an Asian women's football advisory group because I felt really strongly that I needed to work with women who really understood the issues and challenges and could work alongside us to make some changes. Um, And this group has 17 Asian women on the group from all communities uh, around England who are representing uh, boards, committees, administration, playing, refereeing, uh, coaching, etc. And um, that group has just been brilliant. And the first time we ever met... The first thing we did was to debate what were the barriers that we really needed to prioritise because we knew we could sit there talking about barriers because we can do the same with, with girls and women. You know, whatever culture, whatever, um, wherever you're from, you there are issues with girls and women playing football. But we wanted to really identify the kind of ones that the Asian female group felt were the, were the most prevalent and we could do something about. And I think the three that came out really strongly were visibility, perception, and opportunity. So visibility in terms of what we've already talked about, that we really needed to raise the profile of those Asian women in football so young girls could see they had role models and they could see that women were being really successful in the game. In terms of perception, we knew that parents, families, the media, there were people that we needed to influence and we needed to change mindsets and and culture. And then in terms of opportunity, we needed to ensure that young girls and women knew where they could go to play and knew what the um, the pathway looked like for them and the different offers involved. So we, we kind of agreed that they, although there was lots more, they were the three that we really wanted to prioritise. And I'm sure you're going to ask me the question, what are we doing at, at the FA at the moment? And that will be, disc- we will, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the things that we're doing around those, those three key areas. Okay. Um, and so, go, then talk about the grassroots and stuff. Uh, are they, you're saying the, it's the same barriers or similar barriers are there. And so you're, you're discussing them all together to try and make both the professional side as well as the grassroots side more accessible for everyone. I, th- I think the big thing for us is if we can get the role models out there and people know that, because, you know, you said to me, you, d- you didn't know who the players were. If we can get everybody to know who they are and buy into their stories and understand the journeys that they've come on, I think a lot of girls will see that, there are similar barriers that they've had and then they can see how they've been overcome by these players that have come through the system, by the coaches that have come through the system, like Manisha, like Annie Zaidi, both on the A licence at the moment. Then you've got the referees uh, like JJ um, and Yasmin, all those girls that are doing really well on that pathway. So if we can start raising their profile, which is we've we've been spending a lot of time on and, and obviously the players as well, I just think that generates that excitement that younger people can see that they've got a chance, they've got 
uh, a, a, you know, a chance to be part of this of, of the game. I knew that when I was younger, I didn't see any women playing football. I didn't see anybody in the coaching or the refereeing. I saw nobody. And therefore, I, I just assumed because I was banned, you know, that word was was thrown at me at such a young age. That was it. That was the end of my life with football. I needed to see, as I did when I went on my level one, that there were other women and there were teams and that things were happening. And then once I knew, I, I felt, oh, maybe I've got a chance to be involved. And yes, I did come on board in football very late in my life, but I had no choice because I wasn't offered it. I wasn't encouraged to do it. So we're just trying to find ways to encourage young girls to be involved and we're asking questions about what what do you need for to happen and that visibility becomes so important to them okay so recently the fa announced what did the fa announce i, I saw a video <laughs> i can't remember what the actual specifics were but i know it was kind of like a more of a structure kind of thing a framework on which other things will come under um what did they what was it called sorry do you was was it our women's football strategy? Because that was only October was when it, we announced that. No, no, no. That. This was this was a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't specific to either Asians. Oh, the or FA women, strategy. Yes, the FA strategy. Yeah, because the FA strategy, which is the overarching one for our company, the, there was great things in there to, to to carry on the work that we've been doing in women's football. So that whole thing about equal access for girls to playing schools and clubs, um, that that the importance of a diverse workforce, the importance of of anti-discrimination support you know there was things in there that I looked at and obviously I was really pleased because it mirrors what we're doing in the women's game it mirrors what we're doing in the Asian inclusion plan you know it's all our plans all together and and the FA have now said that they're absolute priorities so it was great to see that that plan come out and and show that we you know we're on the right steps to trying to consult work with local partners and, and change that culture, change that way that the girls and women's football is is offered out there. What, so, so what did you call it? It was the the one that was a couple of weeks ago. That was yeah. the FA strategy. The so FA strategy. Yeah. Was that, is that has that been? I'm going to ask you a controversial question. Is that has that been a while in the making, or is that a reflection of recent events? Oh no, we, we always do our uh, FA strategies every every four years, just like we did the women's football strategies. You know, we we are, we've been really clear for years that we have to consult with our key partners and with our communities to get to a point where our strategy is robust. So that 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 FA strategy has been wow. We've been talking about it for about uh, must be over a year now, and it's, and certainly the women's football strategy we we were working on it a year before it was was announced as well. Plus, obviously, all the things that we'd achieved in the previous ones. So all of our strategies are, are very well thought of and. And as I said, we've already discussed this, that the Asian inclusion plan, you know, because you were there, we went out to ask people what they wanted to see in that plan. And that's what we always try and do is, is talk to talk to our communities to say, what, what do you need? What is the most important thing that you guys need to see in our, in any plans that we do for whatever part of the game that we're involved in? Yeah, I remember one of the things I remember, for instance, was I wanted to put in, was it a thousand extra football pitches throughout the UK or something like that. So yeah, facilities are massive. Um, So I was was going to ask you is, I mean, quite often I go, my boy plays and et cetera. So I'm always going through sort of either a goals or a power league or or something, et cetera. And usually they're quite busy, but usually there's a couple of pitches free. And now thinking back, 
apart from if there's any other girls football or young girls football a coaching session going on i've never ever i don't ever recall seeing a bunch of girls just playing football just for the fun of it etc or even in the park so so i guess the first question is do you, is there there's been huge strides made in the last few years last couple of decades etc um and obviously in terms of the football pitches etc that's that's there to go do you think the mindset of girls generally is is there in that they feel that they can just ring up a couple of their mates and go over to the park or are they aware that they can do that I think that's a really great question because it always was something the boys did wasn't it it was they you know it's from the day they're born the dads take them to the park, they have a kick around, um, and, and then it happens in the playground. That wasn't happening for girls. They weren't getting those opportunities. And that's why a couple of years ago, we launched the Wildcats programme. And the Wildcats programme was put into place because we realised that the younger girls weren't having that first experience of the kick around that you've just described so well. Uh, when we asked why, when we asked young girls why they weren't getting that experience, they were saying, well, you know, dads aren't taking us out or we're not getting the chance to play in the playground because the boys have got the playground. So we've tried really hard with Wildcats to provide environments where young girls can just have a kick around. That's exactly what it's about. Um, also, we've worked, uh, we're working really closely with uh, the girls football schools partnerships around the country to have playground time for girls, as well as other initiatives that are happening uh, through the schools. That's trying to provide this equal access for girls. So, yes, you're, you're so right that was happening. And that's why Wildcats, the work with the Girls Football Schools Partnerships and other projects are happening to try and change that. For the older woman, we weren't even getting women just doing that either. Um, so that's why Just Play is an older version. I see it as an older person's version of Wildcats where women oh, and men can do this as well, are, are given support to have some balls and bibs and just go and play, uh, whether that's in the park or in a, in a five centre um, wherever they wish, just when they want uh, their time. And, and that's what Just plays about. So we've absolutely identified that there's been issues of, about giving people that chance just to have fun and, and play the game. We're also looking at, because Wildcats is only 5 to 11s, we're also looking at the teenage offer for those teenage girls that just want to do a bit of football for fun uh, on their terms. So that's the next big uh, initiative that we're looking to bring out, um, hopefully next year. Um, when when we've done all the pilots and we've done the consultation. Okay, fantastic. Right, going back to those three key aims you you spoke about, the visibility, the perception, opportunity. Can you just expand a little bit more on, on what you're doing? And, and I don't know if it's relevant at this stage, but how you're trying to get the Asian community involved in that as well. Yeah. Well, I think I, I've mentioned visibility in terms of that role modelling. So the, the likes of Rosie and uh, Manisha and Annie and all those w- women from an Asian community that are doing really well in football. We're trying to do more and more to raise their profile. Great example. Manisha was in The Guardian this week. Really lovely piece on her and, and her journey. Um, and that is happening more and more. And we're getting involved to try and get more women um in, in, in the public eye so they know who they are. So visibility, I think we're doing some really good work with and I'm really pleased that more role models are coming forward to talk about their, their journey. Opportunity, well, that's, that's really exciting because uh, we are hosting the Euros in 2022 in England and we have eight host cities and each of those host cities have legacy plans. 
And where there is a high Asian population, uh, we are looking to pilot programmes and initiatives to support the Asian communities to get more girls playing. And we're working with communities and who have got their maybe male clubs that have got um, boys but haven't got girls. How can we make female-friendly environments so that girls want to come? How can we find uh, leaders that are female and that are from the Asian community to be those role models? How do we find those women and then support them? So I think some of the uh, pilots that we're going to do in the Euro host city is going to be really exciting. And then all that information that we gain from those and the learnings we will take to the other cities across the country so that people can take that good practice and, and hopefully uh, duplicate that. We also have a workforce now in the FA that are here to develop coaches, both from the diverse communities and females. And that means we get we get both pots because we obviously know that there are females in diverse communities and we know there are just females from all communities. And we have those coach developers to find those leaders with us and, and support them on their journey. And I'm sure you know that recently we um, launched our FA Playmaker Award and the FA Playmaker is great because some of our feedback from women from different communities was that they didn't feel comfortable to go on that first introductory course uh, with people who could play football. That was males or females. It just felt because they weren't that that prolific with the game, they didn't feel comfortable to go on that first course. Now, the great thing about Playmaker is you can do it online. The whole course is online. So people can do it from the comfort of their houses. They can learn from the different uh, videos that we have about what it's like to be a leader. And if they show that they're really excited by that and they want to carry on on the journey, we've got these coach developers across the country that are giving that individual support and that bespoke support to to our communities. So I'm I'm really excited about those regional coach developers because already I'm hearing of courses that are being run um, online, obviously, but with a coach on the, on, on those sessions, giving support and giving help to those women that maybe have some questions and, and some needs, some additional uh, tips and uh, uh, to get through that course. Just brilliant. So I, I do think that we're seeing some changes. And Wildcats as well has been brilliant because we've had so many clubs around the country show us the photographs and the, and the way that those uh, sessions are being run. And we've seen a lot more diverse photographs that are coming from those sessions. And I'm thinking, yeah, people are understanding that the Wildcat sessions are safe, fun environments that are about inclusivity. That's what we've sold from right from the beginning. It's about all girls being able to play together. And I'm seeing so many more girls from different communities join those Wildcat centres. And you've got to hope if they start really young and we give them a great experience, they're going to want to carry on playing. And I mentioned uh, Pooja earlier in Leicester she went from just running a Wildcat Centre to now a team in a league because those girls straight away got the confidence from Wildcats to play at all and then were saying to her, look, we want to play in a team now, we want to play in a league. And that's what we're seeing a lot more, that conversion from the fun Wildcat sessions to the to the clubs and leagues. And I think that's where we're going to see the increases by starting very, very young, but then also working with those role models uh, from our different communities that those girls look up to and, and want to join the clubs because they're there. Um, and those things that you've mentioned, the Wildcats and I can't remember what you call the adult version. Playmaker. Of that, et Playmaker. Um, yeah, just play for adults. <laughs> okay. I was, so the question was going to be, is there somewhere, is there an access point that people can go and look onto that? Is is it at the FA's website? Where Where is it? Well, first of all, we have everything on FA.com, but we know that a lot of people don't go onto the websites. 
Um, so we also have in every single county football association a lead on women's football, a lead on women and girls football. Um, obviously, at this moment in time, some of them are on furlough uh, as, as we have the issues that we do. But they genuinely are around to support people with queries and, and wanting to know what's happening in the local area. What's being developed at this moment, which is really exciting, is a digital platform where in the future you'll be able to put your age you'll be able to put your uh, postcode and you'll be able to put the type of football that you wish to have and it will come up exactly where that type of football is played and how that person can, for both boys and girls, male and females, how they can go and access that type of football. And that that is being developed at the FA at this moment in time. So I think going forward, it will be much better than it is. But we have that support network in the county FAs at this moment. In, you know, when, obviously when furlough comes to an end and they're back working they are there to support that those local people those local communities to know where they can go and play um and we have so many other people in those counties as, as well that are volunteers that are also spreading the word that are on our inclusion advisory boards that we have in every county fa so a, a lot more people are trying to help us to, to to explain where things are but obviously we're here to help in any way we can and if people don't feel still that they know what's happening they just have to email or, or send a send a request into the fa and we'll help as much as possible okay fantastic um again going back to Asians specifically at the moment um are there any let me actually I'm going to rephrase that question so so, so one of the things from the outside actually no not from the outside one of the things that's that's um pointed towards when it comes to Asians in football is there's a belief both within the Asian community and outside that as Asians, we don't do enough to get involved in football. And mm-hmm. and I think it's generally to do with it's, it's generalisations and stereotypes, etc. Having said that, um, and I also think it's, sometimes it's to do with unconscious biases or just unconscious thoughts, etc. Are there any particular Asia barriers to Asian mm-hmm. females getting involved, be it as girls or as women, that, that you think should be considered just because people may just have that as a mindset and it might take someone to point out that may not be the case for them to start thinking oh yeah does that make sense that was really poorly worded question (laughs) well i i probably go back to what i said before about our group looking at what the three top challenges and barriers were that we can't we, we i think we've kind of covered that I mean, unless there's something in particular you wanted to ask around. No, there, there isn't. Um, I'm just thinking it's, I, I don't know, is the honest answer. And that's what I'm asking. It, it might be, I might have a a bias of some sort that I'm not aware that I have. I mean, that's the whole point of unconscious biases. You're not mm-hmm. aware that you've got them. I'll give you an example. I, of, to, mm-hmm. I was talking to a friend of mine about the podcast and and her immediate reaction was, of course, Asians don't play football. They're too small and too weak. And I was thinking, your boyfriend, who's Asian, is six foot two, and what is it? It works as a trade. So it's she's got a stereotype. Yeah, that's not true, even in her own life, let alone outside of it. So I don't know. I don't know if there's anything to do with. Well, that's that's perception, as far as I'm. That's you know, okay, yeah, that was, yeah. That's perception. Uh, that's changing people's hearts and minds that young girls and and, and 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 women from the Asian community do play and we've got to show that we've got to uh, 
make them role models. We've, yeah. got, we've got to tell everybody about it so that that perception goes. Okay, so a question again. I don't. I really don't know if this is true or not. I've got a perception that for a lot of Asians, especially if they're closer to first generation, etc., um, their parents are probably going to be, or quite often, be less likely to want them to be involved in in a physical sport, etc., as opposed to as you mentioned before, sports like tennis and perhaps hockey, etc. Is that true at all? Or is that just a a generalisation and stereotype on, on my part? Well, a few years ago, we actually did a campaign called Kick Off Your Career. And we did it because parents were telling their daughters of all cultures, of all backgrounds, football isn't the sport for you because you're never going to get a professional contract. And at the time, we didn't have professional players. What we tried to show is football is so much more than just playing on the pitch. And it has so many opportunities to be part of the of the sport. So we know you can be a doctor. We know you can be a sports scientist, and a nutritionist, a physio. We know that there are so many uh, careers that you can have. And now, all these years later, you can actually be a pro footballer as well. So we did that for everybody anyway, because it was the perception of so many people that football wasn't for their daughters. So what we've had to do, we've had to work on that for everybody. Yeah. Okay. And I guess, to be honest, uh, as in, listen, my boy, he's 13. He wants to become a professional footballer. Um, but when he started at five, well, four, five, whatever, as a footballer, that's not what's going through either my mind or his mind, really. It's just play football, just get out there and, and play and enjoy yourself. And I guess that's the thing. If you, like you said, if you can get people playing when they're younger, hopefully that will take them through. Mm-hmm as long as possible, hopefully through their teenage years and even into adult life as well. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really think it'd be great for in the future for this podcast that we, you know, you do bring some of those women on the Asian inclusion group because, sorry, the Asian women's football group, because they have experienced this. They've experienced issues over the past. Like I've experienced my issues for not being able to play because of my gender. They probably have their own stories about some of the issues that you might bring up. I, I can give you what our group felt were the big ones and that we're trying to address at the moment. And, and maybe some of those women can come on and talk to you about yeah. their real personal life stories. That's right. Yeah. Individual stories. Yeah, of course. Um, okay. Yeah. So you've, I mean, I've, I appreciate everything that the FA is doing. Um, are there any other initiatives that are going on that you think are worth noting or looking into? Um, I mean, what the great thing about the football family and women's football is that we all try and work together to develop opportunities. So the Premier League, the Football League and the uh, National League all have trusts. They have community trusts, which you probably are aware of. And those community organisations are all trying to do work in the space of getting more girls and boys playing from all different communities. So I've got to give a shout out to a lot of those community programmes because they're just doing some great work, particularly around the Kicks programme. Um, really going into uh, communities rather than asking people to come to them, going into the communities and and, and working with leaders to develop programs. Um, the, the, the schools, you know, the, I've mentioned I've mentioned about the schools already in terms of us working with girls' schools partnerships. You know, all the time we're trying to work with different partners to help us. Youth Sports Trust are a great uh, organisation that are doing work with us on on some faith projects as well. So. The more we can get our partners to work together for the same aims, which is to get all girls and women playing, the better. 
Um, and, and that's why I really wanted to shout out those organisations. The, the universities and the colleges sector are another really proactive area through British University Sport and also through um, Associated of Colleges Sport. You know, they do some super programmes as well to try and get more Asian and black females involved particularly so yeah we've got we've got some super partners that are doing work tonight uh, we're actually launching our refugee and asylum seeker uh, good practice guide for women and girls Um, and that has been a really great partnership between Amnesty International ourselves the football clubs and the county FAs looking at those programs where we have uh, refugee females and asylum seeker females and, and learning from them about how best to develop football for them um, that's coming out tonight. There'll be training courses on that. You know, there's some really, really good stuff. We're running female-friendly club training that you can go on fa.com and, and register. That's free of charge. That's about those. We're probably looking at real, I'd say, a priority is the male clubs that haven't yet had girls clubs and, and girls teams. That female-friendly club training talks to them about the things that we've learned from those male clubs that have set up girls' sections or those girls' teams and girls' clubs that have set up other other um, girls' initiatives. It's really, really good, and that helps people to understand what an inclusive environment should look like and a friendly environment should look like. So, yes, some really great things going on, and, you know, we, we, we could spend a long time talking about this. What What's great is in the next few weeks, we're launching our Asian Inclusion Plan first uh, 18 months and what we've achieved since we all came out and saw you guys uh, and listened to you about what you wanted for both boys and girls men and women and that's coming out in the the next few weeks so people can actually see that things you've asked for are are happening across football because we're working in partnership with so many people okay look forward to that interesting you mentioned about refugees there um you you're probably aware of this i i heard a fantastic podcast with Colin Murray, he interviewed, oh, what's her name? Nadia. Um, yes, she's from Nadia, Denmark. Yeah, she's from Denmark, but she was originally from she's Afghanistan. Played for Man City. She's played for Man City. Yeah. Um, and her story is fantastic. Yeah. And to our listeners, I really enjoy Colin Murray's mm-hmm. podcast anyway. Um, that particular episode with Nadia Nadim is fantastic. Just tells the most amazing story of a refugee who was in a refugee camp and wanted to play football with the boys and out of that became became a world football superstar right yeah absolutely and we have we have local stories across england of women that have that are actually playing football now um because of the programs that have been put on offer for them so yeah so some super work going on some really great stories of individuals as well as collectives and we just need, I think one of the things we, we were going to talk about was how important volunteers are and how important the community are. Um, the more we can find people that believe in giving opportunities for all girls and women to work alongside us, the better. And, and if if before you don't feel people have heard you and that you really wanted to get involved and you just didn't feel it was for you, I, I really do believe the times now and that there's enough people that are, are believing this the way that we all do that want to change things and want to work with you to, to do that in your community. So just reach out if we haven't reached you. Okay. Superb. Okay. Rachel, listen, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything else you feel that you need to say, would love to like to say, etc.? Well, I just wish everybody that um, is involved in girls and women's football out there all the very best at this moment. It's a really challenging time. We do really appreciate everything that the volunteers do. We couldn't be where we are without them. 
And I really hope that England win a medal for you all at some point in women's football so that you can all feel proud that you've contributed to where England have gone. And let's hope it's in Euro 2022 on home soil in England, where hopefully so many of you can come and watch the girls. And with the BBC coverage as well, it should be the most watched football tournament ever for women so fingers crossed we 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 do everybody real proud but yeah big shout out to thank everybody for what they're doing fantastic rachel thank you very much for your time thank you very much for having me